Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Just come against any insecurity. If, if you deal with that, you deal with comparison, just raise your hand real quick. I just want to pray for you. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, if you deal with that, just, just insecurity caused by comparison. It, it, it's one thing to look at somebody and, and love who God created them to be. It's another thing to look at them and see who you're not. It's one thing to look at somebody and see who they are. That's awesome. We should do that. We should see who each other are. We should recognize that. It's another thing when we see who someone is to see who we're not. That's a whole different thing. That's from the enemy. So God, I just pray for every person that's struggling with that right now, that you would show them who they are, God, that they would be able to see who other people are and appreciate them without it ever causing them to see who they're not. God, that seeing the amazing qualities in other people would never be a reminder of who they're not, God. It would always be something that they'd rejoice over as they see you in other people. I just thank you for that, God. I thank you for that peace to come over anyone that struggles with comparison to realize there's no one to compare to because there's no one like you. There never was and there never will be another you. So comparing yourself to anyone is a complete and utter waste of time. I just thank you for that in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. You just think about that for a second. That <clears throat> there, you, you really can't compare yourself to anyone because there really is no one like you. I mean, we're all human beings created, you know, by God, but, but that's about where the similarities end. Because every one of us is different. Every one of us was created with different uh, desires inside of us and different talents and giftings and heights and lack of heights and everything else and when we look at somebody and we when we look at somebody and we wish we were them not that we can't look at people and say man I'd love to 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 have that you know something that they have like you know there's people that that you look at and you just admire qualities about them or things that they do and um, the way they live their life that's one thing to look at that and say God I I really admire when I see you in that person and I'd love to have that that's one thing but it's another thing when we look at them and we see something, and it reminds us of who we're not. And we appreciate ourselves less because we appreciate others more. That's a whole different thing. That's the enemy. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fruitless pursuit to try to find someone to compare yourself to because there's no one like you. So we're, we're going to uh, quickly take up our offering, and then we're going to get into the message this morning. Um, do you guys like, doesn't it look good up here? Listen, if you would have seen it yesterday at 1 o'clock, you'd be so impressed right now. Yesterday at 1 o'clock, it was not awesome in here at all. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, we're going to go ahead and take up our offering. I'm just going to pray real quick, and then they're going to take that up. God, I thank you that we have something to give you. And God, just beyond our finances, that you've given us life, God, that we can give life back to you. That you've given us life that we can bring life to other people that you've placed talents and giftings inside of us, that you've placed your spirit inside of us. God, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives and dwells inside of each and every one of us. And he leads us and he guides us and that we're in Christ. In him we live and move and breathe. And all these things you've given to us, God, we thank you that we have the ability and the, the privilege to give back to you and to sow into your kingdom. I pray today as we, as we give our finances, God, that you would bless it, that you would stretch it, multiply it, um, that it would accomplish way more in your hands than it ever could in ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, yeah, we... Uh, we had we, we had to run a new a new sound system. Ours was pretty dated and old, and we for live streaming purposes it wasn't going to work. And so we were like, well, if we're running new stuff, we should probably do new speakers. We got new speakers up here. Yeah, the old ones that hung over here were 14 years old, and they weren't even good speakers 14 years ago. <laughs> we were informed yesterday. <laughs> so I mean, it, it, look, we we loved them and appreciated them, but now we love and appreciate that we don't have them. We have something better. 
Um, and then we were like, well, well, if we're going to do that, we should add this little false wall here that, so we can hide some stuff and some lighting that we're going to need for live streaming and just so it's a cleaner look on stage. And we're like, we should probably do that. And then we're thinking, man, we should really do something to the back wall so it's just not so plain. But <laughs> and, and we were like, maybe we should add some lights somewhere just so there's something interesting on the stage, but we don't really have a lot of room to do like stage design stuff. And it's not really our thing, but we wanted it to somewhat look attractive. And so one thing led to the other. You know how those projects go. While we're doing this, we might as well do that. And next thing you know, you're here till I think the last people left at 1130 last night, um, getting everything ready. And um, after second service, we actually have to pull everything off because uh, they're putting new black carpet on on Monday. Um, but anyway, so I'm super thankful to everybody that helped out. Uh, so awesome just to see people excited about doing things and, and helping. And it was pretty amazing. Um, so a couple weeks ago during the message, um, we're talking about when, when um, John the Baptist sent word and, and he, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And we talked about that, just that John's sitting in prison and things haven't gone the way he thinks that they should go and he knows what Jesus is supposed to do. And we all kind of, when we hear something or we read something in the word, it gives us this idea and sometimes our idea is right and sometimes our idea is not so right. But if we're not careful, we'll make our idea a rule that we want God to live by. And if he doesn't live by our rules, we sometimes give ourselves the right to sit in judgment of him. And this is what John was doing. And so John, who obviously, we're not going to go through the whole message, but John knew who Jesus was, more, more, probably more than any human being on the earth at that time, maybe besides his mother uh, and father who were visited by angels. Uh, but other than that, and maybe even more than them, John was the one who declared, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when he sees Jesus walking. Um, you know, he knew who he was. He was a prophet. He's there to declare Jesus. He says, you know, there's one coming who's sandal and not even fit to tie. Like, he, he must increase and I must eat. He knew who Jesus was. But he finds himself in a place that he never expected to be. And he finds himself there because he did what he was supposed to do. You know, it's one thing when, when, we, when we find ourselves in a, in a bad place because we've done something bad. We kind of know why we're there. We don't like it, but we know why we're there. We a lot of times have an easier time dealing with that. But for John, it was, I did what I was born to do. I did what you asked me to do. I fulfilled the calling on my life, and it landed me in prison. And, and Jesus, you know, says back to him, well, Go and tell John these things. And he mentions all the things he's doing. He leaves off of the list to set the captives free. You know, it's the sight to the blind, the poor of the gospel preached to them, deaf see, or deaf hear, blind see, all, lame walk, all the things that he was doing that he said he would do. And he left off that list the one thing that, that was causing John to stumble. He didn't say, I came to set, you know, that the captives are being set free. Because at that time, John was a captive and he wasn't free. And Jesus knows he doesn't need to focus on that. That's what he's focused on. And so that's why he's asking the question he's asking. So Jesus' reply to John was to tell him, take your eyes off the one thing I'm not doing and put your eyes on all the things that I am doing and maybe your perspective will change. Because you're so focused on the one thing that I'm not doing that it's shipwrecking your faith and you can't even see all the things that I am doing to the point where you're questioning if I'm even real. And then he added this line. He says, and blessed is he who doesn't, does not take offense at me. And I got stuck on that over the last couple of weeks, just thinking about that. Um, because there's another place in the gospel where Jesus is talking in Luke, and he says to the disciples that it's inevitable that offenses will come, but woe to him through whom they come. So I was thinking, Jesus is saying, listen, there's going to be opportunity for you to be offended at me on one hand. And then he says, in this life, it's, it's inevitable that offenses will come, but woe to him through whom they come. So I don't think Jesus was saying, but woe to me. So this has to be two separate things. And so I started thinking about, well, what, what, what would make these different? And I realized that there's, there's two different times that we have opportunity to be offended. Jesus wasn't saying, real quick, let's just get this out of the way. Jesus was not saying to his disciples, you're going to get offended. I've heard people say that. That's not true. He wasn't saying it's inevitable that you're going to be offended. Everyone's offended. Everyone's, and if people say they're not offended, they have two problems. They're offended and they're lying. 
That's not what Jesus was saying. Because that word, when he said uh, that offended there, that word there, we'll talk about it a little bit, but it, it actually doesn't mean that, that you're in the trap. It just means that there's a snare. So what Jesus was saying is, listen, there's going to be opportunities to be offended, but woe to him through whom the opportunity comes. But then another place he says, blessed is he who's not offended at me. And so there's two different times that we have opportunity to be offended. One is when we're wrong. When we had an expectation of somebody that maybe wasn't right, or of God even, that wasn't right, or, or because of a lack of understanding, we thought this, and then this didn't happen, now we have this opportunity to be offended, um, or, 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 or when we just you know, genuinely misunderstand something, or whatever the case is, and, and so we, we take something someone says the wrong way, it, we're in the wrong on this one. Jesus, that's what Jesus was talking about, because Jesus was always right. You guys believe that, right? He was always right. He was never in the wrong. So if someone had an opportunity to be offended, it wasn't because Jesus was in the wrong. It was because they were in the wrong. There was a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation. Something that, that was said was taken the wrong way, or, or they had only partial information, and they were making their judgment based only on partial information. And I feel like, you know, this happens in the church sometimes, and I feel like this is the easiest one for us to talk to each other about. Like, when, when, like, if you know that, that something was said and it was taken the wrong way, I feel like it's really easy to go to somebody a lot of times and just be like, hey, you know, I know that, that this person said this, and, and, uh, and I know that bothered you. I heard from so-and-so that you kind of were offended by that. But I just wanted to tell you, like, I don't think that's what they meant. I think they meant this. Or, or, or you know, I, I know that you feel this way, but I think you're just, you're not, there's something you're not seeing. And we, we kind of explain that to them, and, and we try to talk them through it. And I feel like in, in community and relationship, a lot of times we, we don't really have a problem doing that one. And that one seems like it's easier for us to take, too. It seems like it's easier for us to take, like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I didn't see that right. You know, maybe when they said that, okay, I can see where maybe I thought this, and maybe they meant that. And, and it's almost like that's not that big of a deal. But then there's the other times. Then there's the other times where someone actually does something wrong. Where someone actually sins against us. See, that, that word there, um, John Bevere wrote a whole book about the bait of Satan. He talks really in depth about it, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go too far down that path. But, but that word there that Jesus uses in both uh, instances is, is uh, scandalon or scandalizo. Both comes from the same root word. It, it actually, um, what it means is a bent sapling. That's actually the, the literal meaning of that word is a bent sapling. And, and uh, it, was, it was the part of a trap that was the trigger and so you would have this bent sapling that would have a snare attached to it. There'd be some kind of bait there. And when the bent sapling was touched, it would untrigger, and it would entrap or kill the animal that was being trapped. And so what Jesus was saying was, listen, there's going to be these opportunities for offense to come in this life. And sometimes the opportunity for offense will be because of our misunderstanding, which was the case with John. John just misunderstood what Jesus was doing. He thought Jesus came to establish a literal kingdom, tear down a physical kingdom, all these different things. And, and so it was a misunderstanding on John's part. And so the opportunity, the bent sapling there, the, the thing that, that was triggering him was he had a lack of understanding. He had a lack of knowledge. And so he's taking what he believes and he's making a judgment about Jesus based on what he knows. And all it is is he just has a lack of information. There's something he doesn't see. There's something he doesn't understand. There's something that hasn't been maybe sometimes revealed. Sometimes it hasn't been revealed to you yet. Be really careful about getting offended about something that God hasn't revealed to you yet. So it just hasn't been a revelation. One day, a day would come where John will understand. I'm not sure when that day came, but there was a day that came where John understood why he was in jail. He understood who Jesus was and what he was doing. And so those, have, those things happen, but... but then there's those little bent saplings that genuinely are times when someone does something wrong and, and everybody agrees it was wrong. Like, this isn't like a matter of opinion thing. This is like, no, you really did something wrong and everybody I've talked to knows that it was wrong, which sometimes that's a problem. And we've all made an agreement, and we've all come to a judgment that you're wrong, and so I'm offended, I'm hurt, 
I am, am, am unable to respond to you the way God responds to me because of what you've done to me. And Jesus says, listen, when those opportunities come, woe to the person through whom they come. Why? Not because you have the right to be angry with them, to mistreat them, or to make them pay for what they've done wrong. That's not why Jesus said, but woe to them through whom they come. He wasn't saying like, hey, in this life, you know, people are going to do things. They're going to sin against you and woe to them because when they do, boy, you can drop the hammer. You can really hold it against them. You can be angry with them. You can treat them however you want because they deserve it because they actually did something wrong. This isn't one of those times where you think they did something wrong. They genuinely did something wrong and woe to them because of that. I want to show you something in, in the parable of the unforgiving servant that I, I never saw, and it answers a question I've always had. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, you can turn there if you want, because I, I want to go through this a little bit. It says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I, say, I did not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, but since he did not have the means to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began choking him, saying, pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed him, all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. God, I I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive today. I thank you that 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 you're speaking to us through your word today. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give me your heart to speak, that what comes from me would be from you, that we'd have ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand, that our lives would be good soil, would produce fruit, that a world that doesn't know you, God, would taste the fruit of our lives and know that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, so we've, we've heard this story before. We've talked about this before probably here, if you've been here for a little while, where the point of this story is, is, you know, the one who was forgiven so much should have been forgiving to the one who wasn't. So I don't want to try to make that point. But, but, but there are some things about this that are kind of interesting. Um, the servant was forgiven of roughly, I had to do some research and calculating and stuff like that, but it was about $7 billion that this servant was forgiven by the master. It says it was an unpayable debt, and he said, have patience with me, and I'll repay you. But for a servant working in the land at that time, that was about 200,000 lifetimes of finances, of income. In other words, it, it just wasn't possible. There was no way that he could ever repay that debt. It doesn't matter how much time the master gave him. If he lived for 199,999 lifetimes and saved every single penny that he made during those lifetimes, he still would have came up short. So the debt couldn't be paid, but it was forgiven now, he goes out, and he runs into someone that owes him, in, in our standards, in his standards, about $12,000. This is about four months' worth of wages for that person. So about what he would make in four months, this person owed to him. So it wasn't as if it was just pennies. It was a decent amount of money. It's not that the person that did something to you, what they did wasn't a big deal. It's not like the offense was just trivial, like, you know, 
um, they earlier told me that my shoes didn't look good with my outfit. It's, it's not like that, you know? Like, maybe it was a big deal. Four months' worth of salaries is not just a few pennies. It's, that's, that's four months of your life of working that that person owed them. So, so the, the point of the story isn't so much that the, the, that the servant, what he owed the other servant, was a trivial small amount. The, the point of the story is, is that it's trivial when you keep in the context of what was forgiven, when you remember that $7 billion worth of debt was forgiven, all of a sudden $12,000 seems a little bit trivial. See, if, if we ever don't want to forgive somebody, no matter what they've done, and, and, and listen, like I'm here to tell you four months' salaries, that's a decent amount. If you don't think so, I'll take four months of your salary. I will. I'll be happy with it. <laughs> That's, the point is not that what was done was no big deal. The point was that what was done was no big deal in comparison to what was done for them. And that the only way that you can actually demand that you be paid is if you've lost sight of how much was forgiven. Because the only way that you can look at somebody and grab them by the throat and demand that they give you $12,000 is if you have completely forgotten about, turned your back on, and are living oblivious to the $7 billion that was forgiven to you. See, what this means is that the gospel didn't change you. It just changed your end time destination. It didn't become your life. It just was a nice addition to my life. It didn't change the way that I see and the way that I think. It didn't change me. It just changed my thought of where I'm going to spend eternity. And then I turned my back on it, and I went back to life living the same way I lived before I was forgiven. See, this debt was already owed to the servant before they were forgiven. And what he's saying is, listen, when you pass through that point of forgiveness and the $7 billion was forgiven you, at that point, something was required of you that you're now not doing. You now owe something. Because here's the part of this story that I never understood. Is it says, and the master called him and said, you wicked servant, after I did this for you, you should have done that. And he had him handed over to the torturers, the tormentors, until he could repay what he owed. And the problem that I had with that was I read that and I go, but God, that doesn't sound like you because you said that you're the Lord, you're our God, who you would forgive our sins and remember them no more. And this sounds to me like you forgive our sins, but you hold the right to judge us for them still. And you watch how we act. And if we don't respond the way we're supposed to respond, then you hold the right and you actually act on your right to judge us for past sin. Does anybody else ever, have you ever struggled with that, that, that concept? Have you ever even thought, you know, maybe you didn't even think about it. You just thought, wow, that's awesome. I've been forgiven a ton. I'll just forgive everybody. And you never even thought about that line, right? Because it doesn't apply to you. But, but I read through the word and I, I sometimes wrestle with these things. Because I want my theology to line up. I don't want to just tell people that he's the Lord your God who forgives your sins, remembers them no more. Unless you don't forgive somebody and you hold offense against somebody, then he doesn't actually forget them. He remembers them and holds them against you. And so and I've heard a lot of teaching on it, but I've never heard something that truly settled it in my heart. And as I was thinking about that, I, I thought, maybe it has nothing to do with the original debt. Maybe that truly was forgiven I'd forgotten, but along with the forgiveness came a new debt that had to be paid. Because I find in Romans where Paul says this, owe nothing, Romans 13, 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And then I find Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, saying, they come to him and say, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So what if Jesus was saying this? 
that with that $7 billion, with that unpayable in, in 200,000 of your lifetime, in other words, with the forgiveness of a debt that you couldn't pay, with the cross that forgave every bit of your sin and wiped every bit of it away and forgave a debt that you were incapable of paying, Remember that. Never lose sight of the fact that it's not like, well, Jesus was a better way for me to pay my debt. He was the only way. And so if that's the truth and he's the only way, then that means what he did for me was completely outside of my ability to pay, just like $7 billion was completely outside of that servant's ability to pay. So what if what Jesus was saying wasn't that if you don't forgive, God remembers all your sins, holds them against you, and has you tormented until you can repay that debt? No, because then there would be no forgiveness, there would be no salvation, because remember, the debt was actually unpayable. So that can't be what it is. And he says that I'll forgive their sins and remember them no more. David says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has my sin been removed from you. Lost in the sea of forgetfulness. The, the, uh, Colossians tells us that the cross wiped out the record that was hostile against us. So that can't be what he's talking about. So maybe what he's saying is this. You now have a new debt that came with your forgiveness, and it's this, that you love one another, and you love God, and you love one another. In other words... You will be tormented as long as you hold unforgiveness against somebody until you pay everything that is owed. And what you owe is this. You owe no man anything except to love them. So what if what Jesus is saying is basically this. You can't love somebody and be offended at them at the same time. And until you give up your right to be offended and begin to love, it actually allows a tormentor a place into your life. And if you're wondering why you're being tormented, if you wonder why you don't have peace, if you wonder why you feel like there's something lacking or something wrong, it could be that you haven't paid the debt that you owe somebody and you're actually holding unforgiveness against them. And as long as you hold that unforgiveness against them, you're being tormented until you pay what is owed to him in full. And what you owe is to love. Come on, that has to be it. It has to be. Because otherwise he's saying the second you get offended, you're judged for all your sins and you can't and you and you're and you remain tormented and judged until you can repay all of your sin, which all of us know you never could repay to begin with. So it can't be you become saved, God holds your salvation in one hand and your sin in the other, and the second you get offended, he goes, well, that's it, no more salvation, there goes your sin. No, I think what he's saying is this, there is a debt that comes with being forgiven, and it's this, that I now have been changed by the forgiveness I've received to the point where I will now forgive other people, and God actually comes into my life and changes my heart to the point where I respond to others the way he responded to me, and not, only, not just because it's a nice idea. See, this isn't just like for super Christians. It's not just for really good people. And it's not like, well, you know, when I, that, you guys ever have like really spiritual days? You ever have them like, you know, you have good hair days? You know, I always have good hair days. But, but some of you that don't have hair like mine, you have days where you look in the mirror and you just think, dang, my hair looks good. And then there's days, and, 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 and especially for women, your husband goes, it, it looks the same. And then you're like, I, nothing works. Like, my hair is, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, my, I'm so sick of this hair. And, and you're looking at it going, it's the same hair you had yesterday. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not even close. Yesterday it looked good. It looks the same. You, you, but you, you ever have a, you know, spiritual days like that where you just feel like a giant? Like, come at me. Try and offend me. I will love you. You know, like, you just were nice to every single person and kind to everybody. And, and even people that were trying to get at you, you saw it for what it was. You realize that people that are trying to offend you are the ones who are in trouble? Real quick, before we get back to that point, look over in, um, in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 24. Timothy's, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says this. He says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. He says, when people wrong you and come in opposition to you, your response should be, look at the words he uses. Gentle, patient, and kind. 
What's he saying? Well, coincidentally, those are three fruit of the Spirit. He says, listen, don't be quarrelsome with people. When, when people wrong you or come in opposition to you, your response should be to manifest the Spirit of God. And listen to what he says it could lead to, because here's the deal. So he says they're snared. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Because Jesus talked about, you know, the, 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 the sapling, the stick that would be a snare in the trap. He says they're already snared. They've already touched the stick. Somebody did something to them. Something happened. They got misunderstood, confused. They, they, they were hurt. Somebody maybe even wronged them. It might have been one of those four months worth of salary things that was a legitimate thing, but for some reason they couldn't see it for what it is, and so they touched the stick, and now they're caught in a snare by the devil, and it says, and they're being used by him to do his will. What's his will? To snare you. He says, so now they have become actually, they're in a trap, but they've become part of a greater trap. He says, you have to see that. You can't respond to that and run in there and not be kind and patient and gentle, not be led by the Spirit, not manifest Jesus in that moment, or you'll be ensnared too. But if you don't, and you see it for what it is, you see it the way God sees it, if the gospel has actually changed the way not only that you speak, but the way that you see you suddenly start to see people the way he sees them. And anybody who would come and try to offend you, you understand they're caught in a trap. They're in a snare and they're being used by the devil to become a snare for me. And now all of a sudden, rather than you getting offended and angry and hopping in the trap with them, because what happens when you hop in the trap with them? You become ensnared. And you start to do the will of, this is, this is Paul writing, the Holy Spirit inspiring him. You're actually doing the will of Satan. See, that person was doing his will. They came and brought that offense to you. They gave you the opportunity. Every time an offense comes, there's an opportunity to do one of two things. You either manifest the kingdom of God or you deny the kingdom of God. And your response determines whether you end up in the trap or you end up being the one who speaks something. And listen to what it says. It says, uh, well, if I find it in my notes, I'll read it to you real quick because it's really good. It says, perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape. He says, if you will be kind and gentle and patient, if, in other words, how can you be kind, gentle, and patient? Only by the Spirit of God in you because that's fruit of the Spirit. So if the Spirit of God is in you, and if you're yielding to him, and you manifest the fruit of the Spirit in that situation, it says that not only does it keep you from getting ensnared, but you actually could be part of someone who's co-laboring with God, working together with him, so that he could actually bring them to a place of repentance so they could come to their senses and be free. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Isn't it? I mean, you start thinking about these things, you start visualizing traps, you just start realizing, what is he saying? saying, listen, wherever the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. But not only that, but where you manifest the Spirit of God, there's an opportunity for freedom for other people. Because it's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. And one of the things he tells us to do in response to someone who's caught in a trap, who's trying to offend us, is to be kind to them. Why? Because the kindness of God displayed through you might be the thing that leads someone to repentance rather than you hopping in the trap, slamming the door and tearing each other apart. And then you make a deal with each other. And next thing you know, and you don't even realize this is happening, but you partnered with them. You allowed them access into your life. And now the two of you are, are, are an even more effective trap because rather than just being one little spring stick, there's two little spring sticks. And you're both doing the will of Satan. Or you say, I'm not going to take the bait. I see that for what it is. Here's the thing. Even if it's four months wages. Even if it's something that's really bad. Even if somebody does something that really hurts. Even if what they did is really wrong. See, we don't have the luxury of picking and choosing what we'll allow ourselves to be offended by because Jesus said, don't get offended by me and don't be offended by wrong. In other words, you, you can't get offended with him because you don't understand and you can't get offended with them because they don't understand. Because for there to be offense, there has to be a lack of understanding somewhere. Just make sure it's not you. 
because they're ensnared. That's why Jesus said, but woe to him through whom the offense, woe to him who's the little springy stick. Why? Because Paul says they're ensnared by the enemy and they're doing his will. Do you know what a miserable life it is? When you don't have that satisfaction and that joy and that peace that comes from every single day waking up and knowing, today my will is to do the will of him who sent me, like Jesus had. That's the only way there's true peace. And you may not even know it. It might have become so much a part of your life that that offense, and here's the thing, we got to be really careful about this. We have to make sure that we are Christians who are believers that actually believe. A, that we'll actually speak straight to each other. This is when someone has done something to offend you or is in opposition to you. It doesn't say, just let them be. It actually says, correct them, but with gentleness, with kindness, and with patience. We have to be believers that actually believe. That will say to each other, listen to me. Not what they did is okay. You don't go to them and say, no, they didn't steal four four months wages from you. That's a lie. They did steal four months wages. Trying to minimize what was done will never, ever change it. Trying to make them feel like what was done is okay won't change it because maybe it's really wrong. What we need to do is give each other context and say, look, I know what they did was wrong, and I hate that, but guess what? They're in a trap. And how dare we ever give ourselves permission to treat somebody less than the Father treated us when we owed $7 billion and they owed 12000 we got to be able to talk to each other like that, and we have to be able to hear each other like that. See, because the first one, like I said, it's pretty easy. Someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, I heard that you're mad at so-and-so because they said this. And I just want to tell you, like, I I talked to them, and that's not at all what they meant. This is actually what was said. And the person that related to you really relayed it wrong or didn't give you the context of what was said. And and they they did say this, but it was in the context of this conversation. I feel like we can hear that so easily. You know, we had no problem. Oh, wow. Oh, you know what? That kind of makes sense. And, you know, maybe a little bit of our pride is maybe like, you know, well, now we got to, you know, apologize for holding an offense we shouldn't have, or whatever the case. But I feel like we can hear that stuff. But what we don't want to hear a lot of times is the time when we really do feel like what they did was wrong and they really did something that hurt us. Because we start to say things like, well, you don't know how it feels. You don't know what they did. And all we're proving is that we're forgetting what he did. That we've turned our back on 7 billion and are staring directly at 12,000, and that's making a bigger difference in our life than that. So some days, you're just having good spiritual days. And you just, everything's going good, but but then some days you're not. And some days it's, it's easier to take an offense. Maybe you've had four days in a row of stuff and now you've reached a point where you just, you know what, I, I forgave and I forgave and I forgave and I forgave, but I'm not going to forgive this time because whatever the case is. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that I was reading, and what really sent me down this rabbit trail was, you know, the verse that bothered me, the verse of Jesus. And then I was reading in Peter, and he was talking about this. He says, consider Jesus, who gave himself as an example for us, when he was reviled, offered no revile in return, when he was mistreated, didn't mistreat people, but instead kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And I was just mulling that over in my mind, and I heard God say this, Roy, I will defend you for the rest of your life but that will cost you your right to defend yourself. And instantly I thought back to something that happened not long ago where someone came and made accusation against me. And I don't agree with what they said, and I don't agree with the way they went about it, but that's not the point, because I don't control that. But I started to defend myself. And my response wasn't loving, kind, and gentle. It wasn't patient. When I could... I could probably find friends that I could talk to and I could tell them what was said and, and they would agree with me when I say I don't agree with that and I could feel better about that. But the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, I realized this, that Jesus was actually 100% right. Even if, say, this person was 95% wrong, there's no way I was 100% right. 
and they were 100% wrong in this. But even if they were, because they were 100% wrong, and he was 100% right, but he didn't offer it in return, what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to the one who judged righteously. What he said was, Father, I trust you. I could defend myself right now, but what would that matter? I'm not here to defend myself. I didn't come for my own life. I came for theirs anyways. I trust you. And then I started to get that little nag, you know, that, that thing of, well, now that you know that and you see that, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'll pray for that person. So I prayed for them, and the nag didn't go away. And I thought, well, I could call them and apologize, but, but then that validates what they're saying, and they'll think that I'm saying that they were right. And I started realizing, look at you, you're defending yourself already, and you haven't even called them. That, that need to defend ourselves, all that is is just a show, an insecurity, and it's a sign that we don't fully trust him. You don't have to defend yourself. If Jesus didn't, and he's our example in all things, then that means I don't have to defend myself either. I can just keep continually entrusting him who judges righteously. And the point isn't whether that person was wrong or right anyways, because they could be as wrong as they want to be. It has nothing to do with my response. So I pulled out my phone, saw a text message and preoccupied myself with a text message for a while. Then that was done, and I pulled up my contacts, and I called the person, and I said, hey, I just want you to know, I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me for the way that I responded when you and I talked recently. I defended myself to you. I didn't respond in kindness, and I was wrong. And I'm sorry for that. Would you forgive me? Instantly. Something that I didn't even realize was there was gone. It, I could feel it. I didn't even know it was there. All it was was this. It says, be careful that through an unbelieving heart, no root of bitterness would spring up in you. There was a root of bitterness that I didn't even know was starting to take root in my heart because I wasn't giving what I owed to this person, and that's to love them. Listen to me. I'm just under close of this. You may not even know it. And truthfully, you may not even realize it. You may look and say, I'm not in a trap. I don't see any bars. I'm good. And you may be in a place where you say, you know, I haven't said anything bad about them. I haven't bad-mouthed them. I haven't said anything other than what's true. You may be saying those things and justifying. Listen to me. If it's been anything other than love, it's an open door for the enemy. It's an open door for the tormentor. Why do you think a loving father would allow you to be tormented until you give what's owed? Because living your life full of love is so much greater than allowing the enemy full access to your life forever. And he's good enough that he'll allow it to bother you until the bother becomes too great and you actually give what you owe. And that's to love. Doesn't sound kind for him to allow the torturer to come. It only does if the torturers are there to bring us to a place of understanding life apart from love is no life at all. So I've, um, I'll be 40 in May. And in my 40 years, I've yet to meet many people that haven't been done very, very wrong at some point in their life. I'm not here to minimize or trivialize what was done to you. Because trying to make that small does nothing. But I just want to say, like, I couldn't exaggerate what was done for you. I couldn't exaggerate all that was forgiven and what it cost. 
There's no point in trying. So my point, my, my intention today is not to minimize the four months wages, whatever that might be in your life. It's not to make light of that. It's to actually put your attention back to the seven billion, to what was paid, to what it cost him, and to the debt that is still owed by every person who's received forgiveness. We owe no man anything except one thing, and that's to love them. Anybody you're offended at, you cannot love. You can't. So I'm just going to ask this. If, if uh, while I'm talking, the four months wages has come up into your mind, uh, maybe there's a few. Maybe there's one. Maybe there's a bunch. Maybe there's been a lot of people. You know, I've met some people who have lived horrible, horrible lives at the hands of other people, the things that were done to them. And I've seen some that have seen it in the context of, I know, but you know what? God is so good, and he's so loving and so kind to me. And, and, and when I get, I was talking to someone, they said, every time I'm tempted to think about that, I remember what his response was to me when I did something even worse, and it cost him far greater, and it takes my rights away. And those people are living amazing lives in spite of everything that was done to him. And then I've met some people who have had one little thing. I'm not trivializing, but really, it's not that big a deal. And they're shipwrecked. And it's become this huge thing that keeps them from being okay. And they can't get past it. There's a whole life waiting out there. There's a kingdom to build. It's for freedom's sake that you were set free. You were set free to live free. Come on, what's worth it? Because here's the deal. Every time you give yourself the right to hold on to that offense, and every time you give yourself the right to hold judgment over that person, you open yourself up to the tormentors to come. And whether you realize that that's why they're there or not, they're there. And if you think your life is okay now, just trust me, it's so much better when they're gone. See, because I didn't even realize that thing was there until I actually humbled myself and asked forgiveness and repented. And suddenly something I didn't know was there was gone. So I'm just going to ask this. If there's a four-month salary, and I don't, I don't know what it was, and if you don't want to tell anybody what it was, that's fine. But if you've hold, held on to something and you know what it is, so I'm talking about it, you could let it go right now. You could actually let it go right now. You could step out of that trap. It's like a cage door opening and a bird flying out. You could come out and experience what you were created to experience, why you were set free for freedom's sake. Right now. And not only that, but that will also position you to be able to speak to the one who's in the trap with kindness and gentleness, with love, with patience. And perhaps see God grant them repentance and see them come out of that trap too and experience the freedom that they were set free for. So if you need to do that, I'll just ask you to stand up right where you're at. Yeah. I'm going to have our prayer team come down front. And we're just going to pray for you. And like I said, if you want to talk about what it was, that's fine. If you don't want to talk about it, that's okay too. But we want to pray for you. So if you stood, just would you come down front? We're going to pray over you. We're not going to embarrass you. You don't got to stand in front of the church, grab the microphone, and talk about what it is. But we do want to give you the opportunity. And you guys, it, there's not enough people up here for the prayer team, so if there's anybody here who's filled with the Spirit up front that you know we trust, that you want to come up and pray with people, that's awesome. Just find somebody. Yeah. And you guys that are sitting in your chairs, all you free people, just extend your hands towards these people and begin to pray for them. And just begin to thank God that today people step out of a trap, the tormentors, access to their lives are closed off, and the debt of love would be paid. I just thank you for that, Father. I thank you for your kindness, your gentleness, and your patience towards us. 
God, I thank you that we would take everything and bring it into the context of the forgiveness that was won at the cross by Jesus. God, that we would never lose sight of that, that we would never turn our back. God, I just thank you that right now the tormentors have to go in Jesus' name. I pray that you, God, only you can make a heart love somebody. God, I pray that you'd place your love inside of our hearts towards the people that owed us, towards the people that offended us, towards the ones who have done us wrong, God. It's not saying what they did is okay. It's saying I'm going to be okay even if they choose not to be. God, I thank you that you're not holding our sin against us. You're holding us to the standard of love. I just thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. So everyone that's up here getting prayed for, just in your mind right now, just picture that person, picture that offense, whatever it is, and just say to them, I forgive you. Because here's the thing, they may never come and ask forgiveness. That's okay. That's their deal with God. But they don't have to come and ask for you to give them forgiveness. It says, forgive one another, even as God himself forgave us in Christ. That means before you were born, God forgave you. Long before you asked, he had already offered and extended and paid for forgiveness. And now that's what we do for each other. And if they never come and ask forgiveness, it's okay. Because in your heart, you've forgiven them already. And now you have nothing but love for them. I just thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. That is. If you need, uh, if you need more time, that's fine. We need to step over to the side. God, I thank you for every person that stood. God, I thank you for the ones that that wanted to and didn't. God, that you see their heart and you see that pain and you see what they've dealt with, God. God, don't let anybody leave here feeling like their offense, the offense that was done against them, the thing that was done wrong to them is being trivialized, God, because that's not the point. God, we just pray that we would see it for what it is and we would see that they've been caught in a trap and they're being used to do the will of Satan. And he came to steal and to kill and to destroy. So God, we just ask right now that you would heal hearts and we could walk in forgiveness and pay the debt of love that's owed to every person, whether they deserve it in our eyes or not. Because you thought they were worth the blood of your son. We believe they're worth our love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.